Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. My guest today is Kevin Peranio, Chief Lending Officer at BRMG, to talk about the state of the market, what he sees for spring, and how the industry is meeting the very specific challenges of lending in California. As always, I want to say thank you to our podcast sponsor, Truve, for making this episode possible. Kevin, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. My favorite one to be on, as you know. I love that. We love having you on. I like to check in with you every like six months or so, kind of see what's going on at your shop, what you're seeing, the trends that you're feeling. And and you do a lot of social media yourself. You're always giving out information. So we always want to check with you too. And, you know, just recently we got all those inflation reports. So let's start there. Let's start with the uh, economic picture as you see it. Yeah, I appreciate you uh, enjoying my content as I enjoy, obviously, yours and all of Housing Wires. Um, yeah, every Monday and Thursday, I try and put out uh, a quick little 10-minute video, if that could be quick. And um, the commentary is, is is trying to be macro. I feel like there's a lack of owners that are out there and visible uh, in the C-suite, you know, kind of talking about their strategy. And um, and that includes talking about macro conditions. You know, I, you know, I like to say this, you know, our rates go up, business goes down, rates go down, business goes up. You know, we're, we're very simple uh, industry, um, generally speaking, how we get there and deal with those macro factors. Obviously, everyone's got their own group, their own people, and there's plenty of great uh, competitors and, and people in our industry. However, um, as hopeful as we have been, we all want lower rates and we got them. And so, you know, I'm, I'm saying this coming off the backs of um, a really high January uh, jobs, CPI and PPI report, um, although the retail sales w- was down, you know, things don't move in a straight line. And so, you know, having gone through the last year and a half, we kind of felt that, right? And we felt that everything didn't go in a straight line, but the trend was generally worse, right? And so since December 13th, the trend has been generally better. And again, we won't get generally better in a straight line either. And so, um, you know, it's a natural reaction for some of us who have been, you know, you know, grinded through the last year and a half in this business to see, oh man, rates are going to stay higher for longer. What a bummer, you know, because the inflation print um, came out hot or whatever the case may be. But I, I just, I just want to say, I read a report. It said um, that rates are the highest they've been in two months. And so, like, when you read that line, do you go, "Wow, we had improving rates for two months," or do you go, "Oh man, hot inflation." It's gonna. It's just gonna be a bummer this year. It's gonna be more bad news. Like, how do you process that? Since the Fed came out on December thirteenth and said they are going to cut this year seventy five basis points, and that's just the first time they started saying they're gonna cut. That set the trend, and the trend will be for the year, and maybe all year, um, that there will be generally lower rates, and we already have lower rates, and so it's a better time to be a buyer from the peak at eight percent rates. When rates got down to like 6.875, now they went to seven, maybe went to seven and a quarter. You know, they're going to bounce around in that range. But from eight to 7%, 5 million more borrowers are now able to afford a home according to Black Knight data. So we think that, um, that you know, trend is a friend. 
yeah, you have, you know, some bumps in a row, but spring purchase season is almost upon us and that's when it gets really busy. So um, we're, we're pretty excited, um, you know, at PRMG, obviously, you know, from my perspective, and I love to try and spread that positivity and enthusiasm around the industry. It's one of the reasons I love having you on is that you are definitely known for that. That's uh, kind of your hallmark, but also, I mean, it's grounded in reality. I mean, you're running a business just like everyone else is. Um, so I, I just feel like, you know, it's not like you're a Pollyanna. You're, you're having to make the hard decisions too, but um, you know, so, so walk us through, like, what does this look like? I know you guys just got done, I think with your um, sales meetings and stuff for, for, for the spring. So what are you guys excited about? What do you feel like the loan officers are, you know, can, can hold on to in this time? Well, you know, when we start to project for the next year, um, the official process really starts in the beginning of December. And so we have yearly budget meetings where we are projecting in all three of our channels. You know, we, we offer wholesale correspondent and retail um, at PRMG and we serve all originators, right? So the originators are focused, not the servicing portfolio, not the technology, the hedge fund, the REIT, the insurance company, you know, we put the originator first and they want to be served in multiple different ways. Uh, and, but we do believe that a local originator is a, probably your best bet, you know, for anyone, especially a first time home buyer. So we love that mantra. That's who we are. That's what we push. And when you start to make those projections for 2024, um, you know, when you look at the forecast of lower interest rates and maybe a slower growing economy, those are tailwinds for mortgage. And so uh, that's a good thing. You know, industries like ours go into the recession first, then the broader economy tends to follow. And it seems like we might not have an actual full-blown technical recession this year, but slowing growth is still a problem. Disinflation is still a problem. Uh, the Fed tackles it in a way where they say, hey, we're going to cut rates at some point. And so far, they've said 75 basis points. They may say more, right? Um, or less, but odds are they're probably going to say more. Rates are sufficiently restrictive to quote them. So, you know, then you carry on those goals into kicking off the spring purchase season like we do with our sales rally. Uh, we had a retail channel sales rally last Thursday um, on the 15th. And it was a full day, great speakers, handing out awards for people who still accomplished at a high level in a tough year of 2023, and then letting people know, like, hey, next year is going to be fantastic. It's already started. And it was kind of validation because, you know, when the show was over, the rally, I had some LOs come up to me like, hey, boss, I got to go. I just got an offer accepted today. I had one of our loan officers also say, I've had five offers accepted in the last eight days. So we're seeing it. We're seeing more locks in January than December more in February than January. And we think that trend is going to continue. And then, of course, our sales rally for our wholesale and correspondent channels was last Friday. And man, we had some fantastic mindset speakers. Uh, we had Steve Scanlon from Rewire Speak um, talking about mindset. Uh, Bruce uh, Lund from uh, uh, National Mortgage Insurance had him speak. You know, getting people ready to go, talking about their systems and their tactics and their approach. And that's a great thing, especially on the back's of larger lock pipelines because rates have in fact gotten lower. And so we're feeling really good. It's about to get busy. Uh, didn't the groundhog say that winter's ending early? So, you know, he saw a shadow, right? Or he didn't see a shadow. Oh, he didn't see a shadow, which means it's going to be an early spring, which means there's going to be more purchase businesses early. So fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. I love that. I know you're a big mindset guy. I've seen you at lots of different conferences. You're, you're sometimes a speaker on that stuff. What do you do personally? Um, when it comes to mindset, what are some of the habits that you have or things that you've adopted um, that lead to your success? 
Uh, at 9.30 is my first double espresso. 2.30 is my second double espresso. So um, I just I just had one, my second of the day. And um, it gets me going. It gets me fired up. And I time it. Uh, I've kind of said this tongue-in-cheek, but I'm being dead serious too. Like I like having energy throughout the day. I try and get some uh, workouts in. Um, I try to limit, you know, alcohol intake, you know, during the work week. Um, and so I, I, I'm even trying to get better at getting rest. I wear this whoop band, uh, trying to get uh, rest. So that, that, that's where it starts right there. Right. And so, um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, look, you know, I, I hate to get into some esoteric things, but, you know, um, I, I was born Catholic. I'm, I would consider myself Christian at this point. And, um, you know, everyone has things that ground them. Um, I love helping other people. And so, you know, there's a lot of people that need help. And I would say in our business, when business slows down and there's less business, more people need your help. And so, you know, I used to joke and say, you know, we're working, uh, you know, uh, you know, twice as hard for half the money. So you got to work four times as hard to, just to, to break even from the year before, uh, but not putting it in dollars and cents, you know, figures. People, people need help. People need pushing you know, I also played sports, right? Not everyone played sports and that's not a knock on anyone that didn't, but I played team sports. Uh, I suck at golf as an individual, which made me realize that like, you know, I, I have to play in a team sport because I, I make mistakes and I have moments where I'm down or I doubt myself and I need someone else on my team to pick me up. And uh, this business is absolutely a team sport. And, and so we have a lot of great teams out there. Um, we can compete and fight when we're on the pitch, the field, the court, whatever together. Uh, but we're off court. We're at these conferences. We're at these trade shows. It's a collaborative event. You know, it's 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 an it's an effort to try and help each other and lift each other up. And I think that's a good thing that more people act like that. There's communication amongst competition because at the end of the day, I mean, no one has any kind of secret sauce. If they do, they get it first, but then everyone else copies it, right? So uh, you know, why not just be collaborative in the end? Um, it's just going to help everybody if all ships do rise with the tide. So that that's what gets me going. Those are things that ground me. I try and, you know, instill those, you know, motivating factors uh, with anyone I come in contact with. Just love helping people. And I think, you know, that's what we do. We help we help serve the underserved. We serve our communities. We help put people in houses. We help teach financial literacy at scale. These are all things that we do that get us going. Um, and, you, you know, of course, you know, money is a, a motivating factor. Um, of course, winning, you know being number one or breaking your own personal goal. You know, I used to do triathlons, you know, and so I was always my own, you know, competition. I'm going to do, you know, this race and then I'm going to qualify for this national, you know, at the Olympic distance. And then I'm going to complete a half Ironman and then I'm going to complete a full Ironman. And I'm not competing with anyone other than myself. And if you just keep getting better every day, um, then everyone you help gets better help. And so I, I just think that that's a great way to just approach things and, and approach this career. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, let's talk about first-time homebuyers because they need help more than anybody, right? They're coming into, you know, if, if they're coming to home buying, they don't have the down payment. 
and they've got, you know, affordability can be really tough right now when, you know, what is, what is PRMG? What do you guys look at for like, how do we help first time home buyers? Well, let me start off a little negative. Okay. So um, it's a real problem and uh, the widening wealth gap uh, is widening and it, it gets wider when uh, rates are up. And so that is, that is one of the motivating factors that um, the Fed has to think about. Higher interest rates really hurts the underserved um, in all facets, uh, whether it's credit cards, uh, just you know any, anything that's interest rate sensitive, right? Um, and it makes it harder to get into a house. And by the way, loan amounts are getting larger. And the larger loan amounts get, the larger the down payment gets. And of course, the higher the payment is when rates are higher. So, you know, I, I said I've had this thought for pretty much my whole life. I mean, ever since I read European history, I would say in eighth grade, um, I was pretty shocked at, you know, in Europe, I mean, it's the haves and have nots. I mean, that's it, flat out. I mean, we are an abundance mindset nation in America. We have the most freedom and opportunities in the world. Um, and as your colleague Logan's like uh, likes to say, Hey, the third rate, the thirty-year rate fixed mortgage setting in and fixing your housing debt is a very powerful uh, way to manage your debt, but also to create wealth and have leverage. It's getting harder to own a home and to open a door, and so um, I, I, I encourage people not to sell a house and then go into renting uh, because it's so much harder to open doors once you're in. Stay in. We offer down payment assistance programs all over the country. We have national programs. We have California-based programs. We're definitely a leader in that space. We always have been. Um, we're a Ginny Mae issuer, and we do manual government underwrites. So we are doing uh, tough loans. We are serving the underserved straight up, um, more so, I think, than, uh, than, than most lenders of any kind, um, you know, federally chartered banks or even independent mortgage banks. And, 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 and so uh, we're doing the work. We're, we're taking the risk. We have the HUD numbers to prove it, right? When you do tougher loans, you have more defaults. But you know, for us, um, it, is, it is part of our mantra, our servitude. You know, our two founders, Paul and Robert, they're humble servants. You know, we serve the underserved, knowing that if we do tougher loans, knowing that if we do lower credit score, manual underwrites, down payment assistance, that we are going to have more defaults. Fact. It's an absolute fact when you do that type of business. But that's okay. We're here to serve. And we will navigate through it. And so we, we keep pushing it. We train um, all of our originators um, how to work through those programs. And they are specialty programs. And it does really feel good making a difference in people's lives um, when they have that advocate in their corner, you know, an originator that understands how to get them over that humongous hurdle of home ownership, which is the down payment. So um, that that's really interesting to think about. You know, you guys are, are really focused on that especially as we, you know, now it's a purchase market. So everybody has to be focused on that more than maybe they were before. But I do think it's a skill set and a, and a training thing that, I mean, just there are some shops that are more set up for that than others, don't you think? I, I do. I, I think, um, you know, that's uh, having a mentor, having training, having a product development team, having resources, um, having an entire team is, you know, let's talk about non-QM. I mean, maybe not um, as high LTV as maybe a down payment assistance program, but certainly you're, you're serving a different segment um, that, uh, you know, maybe they're a small business owner. You know, that's the lifeblood of employment in our, in our country. 55% of all jobs created in America are done through small business owners and they need non-QM products. And so, you know, they don't, um, 
they don't live their life, you know, W-2, file your taxes, pay on time, slam dunk. You know, they're grinding through the last year and a half. And it's harder for them when interest rates are higher for longer as well to run their business if they need debt. Um, and so, you know, learning non-QM and having training programs and specialty groups that underwrite that and special relationships. Um, you know, we have four investors that we sell close loan packages to um, in addition to other brokered out options for non-QM. And so that is serving another segment as well. And you're right. It, it takes training. It takes time. It takes focus, if you will. And um, and, and I, that was one of my big keys uh, to success. You know, I was asked about a year ago or more, what are three pieces of advice? I think I even did it with you on your podcast, you know, that you're giving to originators going into 2023. That one still stands. Um, Non-QM, uh, you, you know, I know a lot of people give the Dodd-Frank, you know, act a lot of grief, but they carved out non-QM loans, you know, non-qualified mortgages versus qualified mortgages, your Fannie, Freddie, and Ginny mortgages qualified to protect the GSEs and protect those loans. And when it hit the fan in March of 20, the non-QM market froze up like in an instant. I mean, it was frozen because it was out and away from the rest of uh, the ecosystem because of Dodd-Frank. And that worked and that protected us from another credit collapse and mortgage meltdown. There are some non-QM lenders that didn't make it, unfortunately. But the rest of the integrity of the system, the larger system, was protected. Having said that, since that rebound in the second half of 2020, non-QM has continued to get fortified with great balance sheets, um, you know, lots of companies like ours, like investors we sell to, like securitizers, a more liquid secondary cap market for those programs, um, it's here to stay. And so it is gaining momentum and I don't see it going anywhere. And, um, and so I, I, I still, even going into spring purchase season of 2024, I still think um, it's, it's a key to success for originators out there to continue to dig in and learn that product mix. Um, start with the bank statement programs, um, start with you know your DSCR loans. Um, get into some of the investor stuff. Um, we have an I ten borrower. We're helping uh, you know bars with no social security number, just an an, an individual tax ID number I T I N. That's a massive program. We've got immigration coming into this country, which will help with our population and demographic decline. I mean, I'm doing my part. I had four kids, but most people aren't even having two, and so the death uh, the death rate is overwhelming the birth rate in this country. And one way to offset that and make sure we have a floor in housing is to help have immigrants come into this country and put a roof over their head. And so products like the ITIN um, in the non-QM space is very helpful for that. And so, um, you know, and that's not to get into the politics of comprehensive immigration or legal immigration. I mean, people are here, they're working. And so how do you help them put a roof over their head, uh, you know, and, and help us build America? Um, every new home that's built is for construction jobs. Um, here in California and in Texas and Florida, where I've also lived, um, you know, there's a lot of um, new Americans, new immigrants that are doing that construction work, and we got to put a roof over their head so they can help build America. Well, I love that. I also, uh, I did my part. I also have four kids. So there you go. You know, Kevin, you and I doing our part just uh, for the American dream here. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's it. I mean, the last two were an oops, by the way. So, you know, my, my wife likes to joke that the last two kids were an oops. They weren't planned, but you know what? We here we are with four. What can I say? <laughs> it happens to the best of us. Um, let's talk specifically about uh, California for a minute, right? Um, I was at the California Association of Realtors. Um, they had a leadership summit uh, about a month ago. I was there, and they had experts up on stage because you guys do have some very specific challenges. 
um, as far as like, you know, an, you know, inventory supply, uh, new builds, uh, infill, like just, and, and they're really trying to address it. Seems like people are trying to address it. Give me your take as someone who is based there and, um, and the challenges that you see. And also, do you have some hope that some of those challenges are being addressed? So I've been now in California eight years. Um, I've, I've, just about eight years, uh, literally eight years ago this this month, flew in from Fort Lauderdale after living there for 13 years, found a house, got into contract, moved my wife, cat, dog, and two girls, and then had another boy and another girl. I am now, uh, I'm here eight years, and for a year now, I've been on the board of the California Mortgage Banker Association, who is a fantastic trade group, um, and uh, they are lobbying in Sacramento. They are lobbying I had a chance last year to go to their legislative days. They got another one coming up here um, in April, and they are pushing the agenda, pushing on housing, um, help with the ADU, um, you, you know, the accessory uh, dwelling unit uh, legislation, um, trying to make now, – now the state is really worried about, um, you know, making sure people aren't getting ripped off because of that ADU legislation that allows homes to have that as, an, as part of the structure, which is fantastic for the housing shortage and affordability. Um, there are some bad actors out there, not a lot, but they're ripping people off. So we're trying to put some safeguards there. Home insurance trying to be addressed. Uh, there's a lot that's going on. And by the way, just a shameless little plug, uh, the Mortgage Innovator Conference, which I believe your team is going to uh, be at in some form or fashion, is in Anaheim, May 8th, 9th, and 10th. Um, there's only two tech shows this year. And this is the only one sponsored by um, a, tr a state trade uh, organization. And so the other one is sponsored by um, a, a vendor partner. So um, I'm the co-chair of the Mortgage Innovator Conference, and we're going to have a big group there. We've got some great sponsors that are signed up. And so uh, we think it's going to be fantastic um, having people there to come and talk about innovation and technology, but also talk about issues like this. Um, you know, what's crazy is like, you know, I, I grew up in Texas, right? So when you're born and raised in Texas, like Texas is the greatest and we're the coolest and we could break away from this Republic anytime we want, have our own country with the seventh largest GDP in the world or fifth or sixth, depending on what year you measure, blah, blah, blah. And then you get to California, they feel the same way. Um, and, you know, you know, when I was in Texas, you're like supposed to not like Californians. I like Orange County. I mean, it's pretty awesome here. You know, the people are, are um, you know, they're different, right? They're a little more chill, they're a little more standoffish at first, but then they kind of warm up to you where, you know, so I'm digging in, you know, I'm digging in the state and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to give back to where, you know, my roots are now and where my wife would kill me. She would never let me leave Newport beach. Uh, so we just, you know, we're, we're digging in. So I might as well get back to the state and try and help the state for its, uh, you know, different uh, initiatives. And what's interesting is depending on what report you look at between 25 and 29% of the entire mortgage ecosystem is done here in California. California is that much business of all the business. And then there are a lot of companies that are based here, mortgage bankers, banks, technology companies. And so even a California show gets a lot of national draw and national attention and brings a lot of people over here. And a lot of the legislation that gets done here, um, you know, matters. And so, you know, we try to successfully defend the CRA requirements uh, that were being kicked around um, in Sacramento, um, as we know, some other states like Illinois and Massachusetts, um, I think New York as well, adopted some Community Reinvestment Act. Um, requirements of lenders in those states. And um, there are some ESG requirements for uh, companies with a billion and up in assets um, that are now hitting some lenders, uh, banks. Um, you have to report 
you know, your ESG uh, progress, um, you, you know, your environment and social governance uh, progress as a company. And so these are all things we're watching all the time that affect, you know, the whole freaking country, right? I mean, Californication isn't just an awesome song by Red Hot Chili Peppers. Like stuff that happens here literally changes the world. And uh, which, by the way, that's what you say when you're from the University of Texas. Um, what starts here changes the world. Uh, but it's true in California, too. So it's really good to be kind of tied in and watching what goes on. So I really appreciate you bringing that up and being involved in it as well. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So, I, I, you know, we're really watching the home insurance um, portion of this, right? Homeowners insurance is just uh, one of the things that it feels like this is not going in a good direction, right? We we have had um, in in Florida and California, you guys aren't the only place, but um, it really feels like this is going to be the you know it is already one of the biggest challenges to affordability if people's homeowners insurance is going to go through the roof because of all of the natural disasters, which nobody is in charge of, right? It's not like anybody controls that. Um, what are you guys doing on the on the state level there, or do you think this is really a national question? Yeah, death taxes and now insurance are your certainties in life. So you know, insurance going up is, oh man. I mean, I, I tell you, what, taxes have been uh, a, a, a real problem, right? Because you know, you you get you get these borrowers qualified for a loan, right? Your PITI, principal interest, taxes and insurance, right? The TI, right? And so that's a problem. I mean, they just keep going up. And as they keep going up, uh, you know, that becomes uh, an affordability issue. Maybe some borrowers aren't able to uh, make their payments because they've just barely qualified and their tax and insurance kept going up after they funded the loan. That's a real problem. So we're watching that. Um, you know, there, there's a couple things. So so your two biggest insurers, uh, State Farm and I think Farmers, are, are uh, are your biggest um, insurers in California. And they pulled out of new policies written in the state for homeowners. Um, I know that um, one or both also pulled out in Florida. And and the, and let's be honest, like, you know, no one wants to hear when I say this because it makes you feel one way or the other. And by the way, holding two, two uh, you know, diametrically, uh, diabolically, if you will, uh, opposed ideas in your head at the same time and still being able to have a conversation about it, um, I think is a sign of wisdom. Um, but climate change, weather change, whatever you want to call it, it's a real thing. Fires, earthquakes, landslides, uh, hurricanes, whatever you want to call it, whatever it is, when it wipes out homes, that's a problem for the insurance industry. And it's happening. I mean, the wildfires that hit California were massive. Fortunately, knock on wood, we haven't um, you know, had an issue uh, with earthquakes, uh, not in the eight years since I've been here. I moved here from Fort Lauderdale. I got hit directly by Katrina, directly by Wilma. Um, and I lived, uh, you know, and dealt with flooding and hurricanes for years. And so the National Flood Insurance Program, the, uh, that is a federal issue. 
Um, homeowners insurance is typically handled by national carriers, but there are also regional carriers. There could be some pushing and nudging um, that uh, both the national and state legislatures do to try and solve this. And it's a hard problem to solve. It is an affordability issue. I, I would even call it a crisis. Um, so um, I, I, all I can do is just say, you know, try and stay involved and try and push on, um, you know, organizations like, you know, together with us that try and, you know, help with state legislatures, make some kind of progress on it. Uh, but we don't really control the cards there. I, I will say one thing in the short term that that I think will be some relief. You know, insurers are a lot like servicers or a lot like, you know, anything when you're worried about a diversified portfolio or risk management of your book. Fannie, Freddie, and Ginny are the same way. If these insurance companies have too much insurance in Florida or California, I mean, look, the loan amounts are larger. And so it's easier to ramp up your book and then your exposure to those markets. So if they just take a pause, let's say they take a pause for a year and let other states catch up, they try and get insurance policies from other states. And in that time, there isn't a natural disaster. Maybe it's a mild winter, a mild hurricane season, a mild fire season. There are less claims, less losses. And they're not taking on new exposure in that book. And they're ramping up other states to counterbalance the exposure of a California or a Florida, well, then in the short term, that could be something where a state farm or a farmers or nationwide would then step back into those markets. They're like, okay, we took a pause for a year. We're feeling good. And by the way, I mean, these companies will then try and bundle your auto insurance and, uh, you know, your other products to, um, to try and also offset their risk on the homeowner's insurance book. And that's another way that they're cross-selling and trying to tackle that. So, um, there's a lot that, that can happen short uh, short and medium, but long term, I think it's a real problem. I think it's going to continue to go up, and I think it's, um, you know, it's just a challenge um, that, you know, obviously home affordability is going to be challenged. Lower rates certainly help, and that's another factor in the affordability complex there that the Fed is looking at when they're thinking about, you know, how do we get people, uh, you know, into homes? How do we help the underserved? And they're thinking about when to start cutting rates. All of those are, are considerations we have to do. Thanks so much for sitting down and kind of just giving us a, you know, an update on what you're seeing and how you look at the market. Always encouraging and uh, looking forward to seeing you as we start the uh, conference season here again. Thank you so much, Sarah. You know, I love being on uh, with you. You're, you bring out the best in everyone you speak with. And dang it, I thought I was going to get a chance to defend you and say that you won the mortgage rate lock-in debate. But I, I digress. We'll let that one slide. <laughs> No, no, we we have time for that. <laughs> I, you know what, Logan is. I know you were in the room that day, and you asked me a question uh, at the end. You were like, "Hey, and, you know, aren't you guys saying the same thing?" And I told Logan, I was like, "There are people in that room who agreed with me. They just, you know, you couldn't see it or whatever." But uh, it all depends on how you define this mortgage rate lockdown. I think is what we've figured out. So I'm very happy to hear that you might be uh you might be on my side. Yeah, I. It's funny. I mean, you know, I I would start with. Well, are you saying there's no effect? Like, let's start there. Like, you can't possibly say that, right? Like, there's absolutely an effect. I mean, you know, people talk about it, they say it. And, and I think maybe where it shows up is in the existing home sales number that's at a very historic low last year. Um, so there's not no effect. But I, I do agree. There's some number in there. I love watching the data you guys provide, um, you know, through Altus Research, um, watching Mike Simonson. And then you and Logan break it down and talk about it. There is a point 
where, um, and, and this is something I, I, I tell originators as well, don't sleep on someone that's sitting, you know, on a rate under 5% or 4% or even 3%. At some point, they've gained enough equity that they are willing to sell the house they're in to buy something else for some some reason in life. And, and, I, and I think that, you know, um, even, you know, whether it's five and a half percent or six and a quarter, I don't know what that number is, but something's going to give. Someone's going to sell that house regardless of that rate or maybe take out home equity, you know, on top of that and do something with that, um, that, that, that roof over their head. So, you know, Logan likes to talk a lot that, you know, 75% of, um, home buyers are home sellers. You know, they don't trade these things like stocks and he's right. And so, you know, while these people are sitting on these historically low rates, they are gaining equity and that equity is powerful and they're going to trade that in for something. Uh, more oftentimes than not, they sell the house and get a new one. So, uh, I, I, I think there's a breaking point, a tipping point. We're going to find out when that comes. But um, yeah, that that's a fun one. I love watching you two go, go back and forth on all things. I love those points. Those are really great points. To me, it, it's like there is this pent up demand. It's like holding a, a you know, a, a blow up ball underwater and it's just pushing up. And, you know, as soon as something it, it, it finds a way it's going to pop up. And that that's what I feel like um, we have out there where we have people who have wanted to move, have wanted to buy. Um, and they just haven't been able to. So fingers crossed this spring we have, or maybe even into summer, we have a lot more opportunities for them. From your lips to God's ears. I love it. Thanks so much, Kevin. We will have you on again soon and we will see you at the gathering in April. Can't wait to have you there. Let's go. Thank you. Thank you for listening. And thank you to our sponsor, Truve. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment. And make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.